Welcome to the Insurance Law Podcast, brought to you by Best Directory of Recommended Insurance Attorneys. Welcome to the Insurance Law Podcast, the broadcast about timely and important issues affecting the insurance industry. I'm John Zuba, editor of Best Directory of Recommended Insurance Attorneys. Joining me from our office in Washington, D.C. is our Washington, D.C. Bureau Manager, Ray Lehman. We're pleased to have with us today attorneys Joe Coughlin and John Gurley from the law firm of Lord, Bissell & Brook in Chicago, Illinois. Joe Coughlin is a partner with the firm who has defended insurance industry participants in antitrust cases and has advised them on antitrust issues. John Gurley is a partner with extensive experience in all areas of corporate insurance, including regulatory issues. Good morning, gentlemen, and thank you very much for joining us today. Good morning. Good morning. Pleased to be here. Thanks very much. Today's topic is the recent government effort to repeal the federal antitrust exemption in the McCarran-Ferguson Act and the impact that this has on the insurance industry. Ray, I'll turn it over to you this morning for our first question. Thanks, John. For John Gurley, could you explain some of the background on why the insurance industry has this exemption to begin with, and what was the uh, purpose that the senators had in introducing the Insurance Industry Competition Impact Act? Uh, Thanks, Ray. First, uh, on why the insurance industry has this exemption. We have to go into a bit of history here, obviously, but in my view, the exemption exists because of the state and federal responses to the evolution of the insurance business, which began hundreds of years ago as a local industry and grew to be a national and now, frankly, a a global industry. Prior to 1944, and 44 will be a key date here throughout our discussion, the business of insurance was considered to be intrastate commerce within the state, subject to regulation only by the state. It was local, or it was at least viewed as being local in scope and in its reach. And this concept was indeed confirmed by the U.S. Supreme Court in a an 1869 decision called Paul versus Virginia. Throughout the last half of the 19th century and the first half of the 20th century, therefore, this view resulted in two very significant developments, which we're debating to this day. First, each of the states developed a significant bureaucracy to regulate the business of insurance at the state level. And second, the insurance industry operated essentially free of antitrust and restraint of trade constraints, including engaging in joint rate-making activities, which is a subject Joe's going to discuss a bit later. Uh, in the early 40s, 1940s, the Department of Justice brought an action under the federal antitrust laws against the Southeastern Underwriters Association. The association was a rate-making organization for the fire insurance industry, and they brought the action against the association and more than 200 stock fire insurance companies that were members of the association and 27 individuals alleging price-fixing, boycott, and numerous other antitrust allegations. The defendants argued, naturally, that the Department of Justice was without jurisdiction because the business of insurance was intrastate commerce, not subject to regulation by the federal government. On appeal, the U.S. Supreme Court in 1944 overturned Paul versus Virginia and held that the business of insurance is interstate commerce and therefore subject under the United States Constitution to the uh, federal antitrust laws and also to federal regulation. This uh, decision, in many respects, came out of the blue, uh, shocked the insurance industry in particular, as well as the states and, frankly, most members of Congress. And as a result, Congress, within months of the uh, Supreme Court's decision, enacted in 1945 the McCarran-Ferguson Act. And McCarran did two things. First, it declared that the continued regulation and taxation of the business of insurance by the states is in the public interest. 
So it was a deferral to the states to continue to regulate insurance, even though the federal government had the authority now under the Constitution to, in fact, regulate. And this was indeed a victory for the state rights activists. And second, it established a limited exemption, and I, I emphasize here limited, and Joe will go into that, from the federal antitrust laws permitting the industry to continue performing many of the joint activities it had historically engaged in, a victory for the insurance industry. There were many that argued that the decision in, by the Supreme Court was a complete dislocation of the industry, and the industry would not be able to function under this new federal regime. Ray, that's pretty much the background on why we have the exemption and why was the Insurance Industry Competition Act just recently introduced. I have, first of all, the sponsors and the co-sponsors. Many of them are from states that were dramatically impacted by Katrina, and at least two of them lost their homes in that storm. They've made it very clear in hearings and in their press releases that they introduced the legislation in response to their perception of insurance industry practices following uh, Hurricane Katrina. Senator Leahy, for example, said that insurers were denying claims and payouts and suggested this was the result of anti-competitive conduct. Senator Specter from Pennsylvania said that consumers, especially those in Katrina-stricken regions, were paying too much for insurance post-Katrina due to a collusive atmosphere within the insurance industry. And Senator Lott, who, as I think we all know, is in litigation with an insurer, an echoing lay inspector said that the antitrust exemption has allowed insurers to engage in anti-competitive activity. None of the sponsors, however, have identified any specific facts supporting these allegations other than to complain insurance premiums in some areas of the country post-Katrina and dissatisfaction with how the industry has dealt with issues such as payment of insurance benefits for damages resulting from flood versus wind. In my view, therefore, the legislation was was enacted to provide a forum for personal and professional frustrations, perhaps a bit cynical, but that's my view, and to create a vehicle for discussing the adequacy of state regulation as well as the continued propriety of the antitrust exemption for an industry that has frankly evolved enormously uh, since the enactment of McCarran in uh, 1945. John, thank you very much for that background and history. And uh, Joe, I'm going to turn it over to you now. Basically, what does this mean for the insurance industry? Well, John, two general thoughts come to mind. Uh, Let me give them to you, and then I'll try to explain. There will obviously be an additional federal antitrust exposure that will cause insurance entities to reexamine all of their joint activities that are regulated by state law. It is those joint activities regulated by state law that come within the antitrust uh, focus and would be subject to the federal antitrust laws if the new act is passed. There will also be a new antitrust sheriff in town. That new sheriff will be the federal antitrust authorities, the Justice Department, the Federal Trade Commission. Another layer of regulation will be added, and it could be even conflicting. Now, what are the kinds of activities that will be reexamined? First, a little context might be helpful about the McCarran antitrust immunity. The McCarran Act now provides that the federal antitrust laws apply to the business of insurance only to the extent that the business is not regulated by state law or if the conduct in question involves boycott, coercion, or intimidation. Thus, activities within the business of insurance, and that business of insurance has been narrowly defined by the courts to be activities that center on the relationship between the insured and the insurer 
that relate to the spreading of risks. But if those activities are within the business of insurance are regulated by state law, they have been exempt from federal antitrust rules. Uh, now, the proposed act completely eliminates this antitrust exemption. The immunity designed to allow the states to regulate the business of insurance, even by allowing joint insurer conduct of a state so desired, would be eliminated. The proposed act would end this exercise in federalism and would impose the dictates of federal antitrust laws on the regulated business of insurance. What are some of those regulated activities that would be subject to the federal antitrust restrictions? Well, certainly the existence of rating bureaus will be examined. There still exist rating bureaus that file joint rates in administered pricing states. All of those activities will have to be closely examined. There are two others that I'd like to spend some time on. First is the joint conduct undertaken to create and maintain the mechanisms to service the residual markets in states. Individual companies acting under state law have together organized systems for selling insurance to these lesser desired risks. Part of that involves joint filing of rates for the residual market. Now note, this is an area of regulation which the states have decided that they do not want to allow competition to govern how companies serve insureds in this part of the market. Rather, they have kept, the states have kept the prices that companies can charge these insureds, thus meaning that the companies do not compete for this business. All of these activities will have to be reexamined under the federal antitrust laws. Past thoughts of legality, based often on McCarran Act exemptions, will need to be replaced by justifications, other justifications, available under the federal antitrust laws. Now, that's not to say that these joint activities are to be condemned. Avenues remain open to justify them. For instance, it can be argued that the joint activity in creating and administering the residual market does not restrain trade in that it provides insurance to a group of insureds who would not otherwise obtain insurance. There's an obvious limit to that argument, but that argument is at least available. Another basis for justifying joint activity will include the state action doctrine. Now, this is a doctrine that has been developed in the antitrust law in non-insurance cases but would have ready application. The Supreme Court has recognized that private persons are not guilty of antitrust violations if their joint activities, though anti-competitive, are undertaken pursuant to a clearly articulated and affirmatively expressed state policy to displace competition, and if the state actively supervises the policy and the conduct. The problem, of course, is in that test is to... Uh, make a determination as to whether the state is going to actively supervise. Now, it is too soon to decide how residual market mechanisms will be structured and justified if the McCarran exemption is repealed. A lot will depend upon the state's reactions to the repeal. Now, as an aside, I might add that one of the problems created in the current version of the proposed act is the lack of any transition period to allow the states to reform their regulation to the new antitrust regime. Senator Lott has suggested that he might add such a provision, though only for smaller companies, but that is not clear how that will solve the problem. When McCarran was adopted, there was a significant period of time for transition that was given the states to adopt methods of regulation. Another joint activity that will be scrutinized will be the collection and dissemination of data. Federal antitrust teaching on data collection suggests that some changes 
may be made. One focus will likely be on trend factors and loss development factors. Past efforts to repeal the McCarran exemption have included safe harbors for some data collection activities. These safe harbors do not appear in the present version of the Act. Now, lastly, relatively little attention has been given to the provisions in the Act that expand the FTC's authority to regulate. First, I should note that the Act proposes to eliminate the McCarran exemption for the FTC Act only for antitrust prohibitions, not for the FTC's authority over unfair methods of competition. Thus, the authority to regulate unfair methods of competition would remain principally in the states. Now, Section 6 of the FTC Act authorizes the FTC to conduct both law enforcement and fact-finding investigations. The proposed act will eliminate a 1980 provision that limits FTC authority with respect to the business of insurance, thus giving the FTC the power to issue advisory opinions, issue trade practice rules, conduct investigations, engage in enforcement activities against joint conduct in the business of insurance that the FTC believes to be anti-competitive. Thus, the act will subject the business of insurance to duplicative and perhaps conflicting schemes of regulation, state and federal. Joe, some have uh, suggested that if the courts were to apply the Sherman Act's rule of reason, data collection that enhances competition would still be allowed. In your view, what is the fate of groups like ISO and the NCCI if the antitrust exemption were to be revealed? Well, it's too soon to bury either of these organizations. Both have operated in the past with significant attention to antitrust compliance, and there's no reason to think that they will not do so in the future. Nevertheless, we have to expect that these organizations will devote considerable attention to their activities and to their form of organization if the proposed act is passed. Now, I've already mentioned data collection issues that may be raised as the loss, development, and trend factors. Typically, data collection systems in other industries do not include projections of future costs and loss development and trend factors can be argued to be a projection of future costs. But let me go back to the issue about the rule of reason. It is true that if data collection enhances competition, it is allowed under the Sherman Act. Nevertheless, it's important to note that antitrust teaching on data collection principally comes from a series of cases involving data collection of prices and not costs. In those cases, it would be easier than in a case involving collection of costs to make some determination whether the joint collection efforts related to an agreement on pricing, and that was oftentimes the focus of those cases. Was there a price-fixing agreement, Not, and can we infer a price-fixing agreement from the data collection efforts? Price-fixing is, of course, a per se violation of the antitrust laws, not requiring the rule of reason showing that there is a deleterious impact on competition. Now, attacks on joint cost data collection can also be expected to try to link that collection effort to supposed agreements on prices. Thus, they could be brought as claims of a per se violation and not invoke the rule of reason. Given some of the activities of some of the trade associations involved here, like NCCI, where it actually still files some rates in administered pricing states, a sharp look is going to have to be given to those activities. Now, another area of interest may be the structure of those organizations and their relationships to their data collection. There's nothing objectionable about a trade association having a proper data collection activity. 
Nevertheless, the scope of ISOs and NCCI's activities are sufficiently broad that they will need to be reexamined in light of the optimal structure for those organizations in avoiding unnecessary antitrust risk. Joe, thank you very much. appreciate your answers today. John, I'll turn it over to you for one final question here. In your opinion, what are the chances that this will be put into effect? Well, before I give you my, my hedge answer, let me just remind everybody that proposals for elimination of the McCarran-Ferguson uh, limited exemption or to provide for some sort of federal regulation of insurance have been introduced in Congress uh, in every decade since the 1960s. In the 1970s, for example, Senator Edward Brooke from Massachusetts uh, introduced an optional federal chartering bill, very similar to the legislation that was introduced last year and has been reintroduced this year. And President Carter appointed a commission to evaluate the antitrust laws, including a review of the McCarran exemption. Issues very similar to the issues that the report of the Antitrust Modernization Committee just issued a couple weeks ago. All of these initiatives in every decade was ultimately rejected for a variety of reasons, including the last attempt to eliminate McCarran-Ferguson, which was, I believe, in 1994, I think. One might conclude, therefore, that this time around the same thing will happen. But I, I think there's a, I know there's a clearly a different dynamic this time. First, the life insurance industry, which we all know is really a completely independent industry and a different kind of industry than the PNC industry, is very much in favor of optional federal chartering because of its frustrations with speed-to-market issues and form rate and other impediments they encounter with the state regulation. In addition, they are under very extreme competitive pressure from the financial services industry that sells many of the same kinds of products but is not regulated by the state departments of insurance. There is a view that the life insurance industry, therefore, would be prepared to trade off elimination of the McCarran limited exemption for optional federal chartering. This is uh, true of the same uh, segments of the property, or or at least certain segments of the property and casualty industry, which has become a global industry that is hamstrung by the delays and lack of uniformity within the state system of insurance regulation. Also, the National Association of Insurance Commissioners, the NEIC, in prior years was a much more respected advocate of the state system of regulation than currently. Uh, The NEIC's failure in the eyes of many to effectuate modernization and uniformity of the state system has weakened its position. Finally, in prior decades, the proposal for elimination of the antitrust exemption and the various proposals for federal regulation were initiated by Congress and were generally not supported by the insurance industry. Many of the current proposals for federal regulation of insurance, however, have been initiated by the industry. The political environment has changed dramatically, therefore. Add to this the continued globalization of the industry and the frustrations resulting from Katrina and other recent catastrophic events, one has reason to think that these proposals for repeal of McCarran and adoption of federal regulation in one form or another may have more legs than in previous years. I'm not predicting that they will be uh, enacted this year because of the dislocations resulting from repeal. There will be a need uh, to to think through these dislocations with great care, and this is going to take time. But as Joe alluded to, when McCarran was enacted, there was a a three-and-a-half-year moratorium before the antitrust exemption 
triggered. It did not trigger until June of 1948, as I recall. So to the extent that a mechanism like that is built into any of these various bills that are currently pending, uh, there may be a, uh, some real possibility that this time around we might see something enacted in one form or another. Well, I want to thank you both very much for your uh, informative and thoughtful answers this morning. We very much appreciate it. Good. Thank you. And that was Joe Coughlin and John Gurley from the law firm of Lord Bissell and Brook in Chicago, Illinois. Special thanks again to our Washington, D.C. Bureau Manager, Ray Lehman, and to our producer, Brian Cohen. And thank you all for joining us for the Insurance Law Podcast. To subscribe to this podcast, go to podcast.insuranceattorneysearch.com or to online directories such as iTunes or Google or Yahoo's podcast directory. If you have any suggestions for your future topic regarding an insurance law case or issue, please email us at lawpodcast at ambest.com. I'm John Zuba, joined by Ray Lehman, and now this message. Best's directory of recommended insurance attorneys is used by decision makers at insurance companies responsible for selecting legal counsel and representation. The printed directory is distributed annually to insurance companies, non-insurance companies, third-party administrators, and corporate counsel around the world, and the online edition is accessible throughout the year. Your listing in Best's directory of recommended insurance attorneys is the most effective way to ensure that thousands of potential clients have access to your outstanding credentials. Here's why you should be listed in the number one insurance insurance attorney reference. Your firm's credentials will be listed in our comprehensive reference guide, which is made available to thousands of insurance professionals globally, both in print and online. AMBEST listees are recognized as the most qualified in their field to represent the unique needs of insurance companies. Key decision makers rely on the directory to take the guesswork out of their selection process. They know that only the best are listed, those firms with a proven track record of excellence who are recommended by their insurance industry clients. And remember, one low rate guarantees year long visibility for your firm. We invite you to use our web application process to apply for a listing today. With our reasonable rates and broad exposure, there's no more effective way to get the attention of the insurance industry. For more information about Best's Directory of Recommended Insurance Attorneys, visit www.insuranceattorneysearch.com. 